is what are you guys seeing coming down the pike? What do you see next? What interests you? What are you thinking about? How are you posturing yourself? Uh, how many times can I ask that same question differently? <laughs> what makes your motor run? <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I am Todd. It is 2022. I got to keep saying that. 2022, 2022. You know, I promised you a part two to the end of the year recap pod. Well, this is it. This is part two. This is the beginning of the year, what we can look forward to pod. And it's interesting. This podcast took an interesting turn. I think you'll find it kind of stunning. You know the cast of characters, but if you don't, I'll just refresh you. Ivan Papaliti. Dr. Dr. P, Professor P, Martha Costa, um, whom you know and love, Mark Yeston, the sweetest man on earth, and uh, the fourth person we picked up on the street, his name is Todd. And But we needed four to you know complete the hands so bridge could be played. Or Gin Rummy. No, Gin, uh, Gin Rummy, you can play with three people, so that works out really well. So what else? So we're on the new year. What are you thinking so far? I had a little emergency trip this week that I didn't know about. That was fun. It was very exciting and and uh, kept me it kept the blood pump, pumping and flowing. And I think I figured out the uh problem with the advertising on the podcast that I didn't want nor ask for is you have to purposely choose to opt out. So if you don't do anything, which is <laughs> pretty much the story of how I live my life, uh finding the most efficient way that's what I do. But if you don't do anything, it'll put ads in if it thinks it it's a good fit. But if you opt out, then it won't opt out. So I think I've got them fixed, but who knows? I, it's, I, I hope it's not too big of a problem for you. It's, it's not my intention, so I'm always kind of surprised when it happens. And it doesn't happen the same around the globe. But, you know, this is technology. I, I didn't think about this, but I'll bet you none of us get the same podcast ads in the podcast we listen to because they can tailor them, you know, like they do for YouTube or that kind of stuff. So, you know, algorithms go figure it, uh, it customers who bought this also bought that, you know, that kind of thing. So here we go. This conversation's fun. I think you're going to like it a lot. I'm trying to think what I've got a lot of exciting things coming up in this new year. Uh, project X, I can almost talk about it. I mean, we're so close to talking about Project X that I, I, it's it's exciting. I mean, I can't, I really can't. I could probably talk about it today, but I want to. I'll get in trouble a little bit. So look forward to at least in the next pod or two, and there's some kind of cool stuff coming up. Rob, Fish, Rob Fisher and I have, I can't even say his name, Rob Fisher and I have a conversation uh, just around the corner, which is fun because we didn't catch up enough. You'll hear more about Project X and the excitement that uh, is ensuing around that very project. But until then, let's listen to part two. Let's have a great 2022 because that would be kind of a nice switch. And let's do some fun stuff. Let's let's get after it and see what fun we have. So here's Pop, Ivan, Martha, and myself. And we're going to talk about kind of what we look forward to in 2022. Well, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see us come together kind of like 
everybody's saying people are coming together after the tornadoes, right? So we, we see these communities in Kentucky and everybody that's in, interviewed says, my neighbors are here to help me. I'm helping my neighbors. And we see them coming together in that kind of stress. That's what I'd like to see. What I see in this COVID thing is more division and us moving away from one another. Um, I see people in the store, like my wife will tell the story. She goes into the store and somebody's not wearing a mask and she's appalled. She's absolutely appalled and she doesn't know what to do about it. Should she go to somebody and say, hey, you're the authority figure in this store. Would you take this, take action on this? Because we still are mandated to wear masks. Should she say that or should she just social distance from that individual? What should she do? And then we have the air rage that goes along with it. You know, people getting angry that they're being told to wear masks. And that is pulling us apart in a not so great way, right? And I, I don't know how we're going to recover from that because there's going to be a lot of residual anger, I think, that lives inside our society that's associated with that fear, right? Fear about what should I do? How should I confront this? Should I confront this? What about not confronting it and just conforming to it? Like, like you said, Mark, you leave the state of New Mexico and all of a sudden there is no COVID. Yeah. But there's, would you say, refrigerator trucks in front of yeah. Yeah, hospitals? Every hospital. Every hospital. And so where do, we, where do we begin that healing? Where do we begin to recognize that this isn't something that, that is blocked by racial or ethnic or financial boundaries, that this thing transcends all of that and we're all in it together. When does that happen? So let me ask, let me rephrase that question to you. What is that causing you to do differently? I don't travel. I do everything remotely. Um, I'm very selective about getting together with, with people like I know you guys. But let me, let me, let me direct that question in a different way. Okay. What is this, this ability to restoratively help the society become better. What is that changing in how you do your work? How are you, cause you can, you have two choices near as I can tell curse the darkness <laughs> or light a candle. <laughs> I guess there's a third choice. Use a flashlight. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't think about, I didn't think about that one. Yeah, I like the light, the candle. That's yeah. a good metaphor. So we have really increased the number of dialogic sessions that we do in the, in the program. We had three dialogic sessions. We're now up to six in each class. So we've doubled the number of dialogues that we have. And we've increased the duration of those dialogues. So we're talking more. And it's in those dialogues that we have the most restoration. It's the most restorative thing that we can do as a group. And all the other things, all the, the mask concerns and the issues about vaccinations and all that stuff, that's not there when you're talking in a Zoom call. That's just not part of the, the dialogue, right? So what we get to do is we get to talk about some other things. Now, what, I, what I'd like to see us do nationally is figure out a way to have those dialogues, to start to talk, to not fall into partisan politics, to not fall into he said, she said, to not point fingers, but to start to talk, genuinely talk and start to be there for one another and show that empathy for one another. That's what I'd like to see. So that's my dream. And I, I don't know any, any way to do that except through dialogue. Well, I mean, one person at a time, right? I mean, you, yeah. you slowly create opportunities to have conversations. I mean, that's how change always happens. And we see that, right? I mean, I'm sure everybody in this room has a story where they talked with somebody who was in some other place, not agreeing with where they were. 
and through through dialogue there was some movement toward the center so how do we enjoin people in the, in that dialogue how do we make dialogue important i mean i think in the dialogue uh, some people might think that we're in dialogue without fully recognizing that we're not because one of the most important part of parts of dialogue is is listening right and how do you get how how do you get somebody to ultimately create the trust where they're willing to truly tell you what their views are and are vulnerable enough to um, share their their real mental model so that you can understand it and then you can see where your point of view or your mental model actually attaches in some ways to theirs. Because ultimately, unless we find a shared purpose, mm-hmm. Then it's go- then it's always going to look like a zero sum game. If if I give, then you then I lose and you gain, and we're not on the same side, right? And and it and really, I think I have heard a lot of people. I have been in a lot of dialogues. Well, people that think they're in dialogues where they are just telling their side. Mm-hmm. Over and over and over again, trying to make a better and better argument and thinking that you can change somebody's mind by having a brilliant argument. And that's just not, that really just isn't true. You change somebody's mind, I think, or or people change um, when there's trust and, and there's actually something that you're willing to change for that is more meaningful to you than the sort of the meaning and the identity that your old argument was giving you. But it means people are going to have to have humility, right? Because the enemy, the enemy of the question is always the answer. Mm -hmm. The enemy of listening is believing you already know. Mm -hmm. Right. So how do we build an environment where there's more emphasis and, and shine's talked about shine's this for, been on top of this for so long. I mean, probably 30 years, a long, long time that that humble inquiry idea he has is really powerful. But the question, and I, and I do think that's a direction we're moving and I'm seeing more humility now than certainly five years ago. Yeah. Just because the whole uncertainty and the world is just, I mean, it's really difficult to predict the future. Right. It's always been difficult to predict the future. We just used to act like we could. I mean, right? I mean, it was, it was kind of the trick. But that that change is really powerful. Well, Ranjay Gulati always says that the two most important um, attributes for a leader is curiosity and humility. That's it. Yeah, because yeah, they kind of fit together, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you kind of have to look at that abyss of uncertainty and actually get curious about it or look at the pain that is that the world is experiencing and actually get curious about it but our natural emotional instinct would be to defend against that pain not get curious about it explain it away or you know give it to somebody else or something like that so that being curious about it is important but of course you really can't get truly curious about the things that are terrifying unless you really have some some humility and some openness and you're able to say something like 
yeah, I actually don't know what's going on. And I'm actually kind of scared. I'm, I'm just really happy to hear you say that because, I mean, I just closed out a meeting, you know, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they asked me, like, what would you leave us with, you know, for the new year or for the coming time? And I said, if I can give you two words to operate on, it's like be humble, be curious. I said, yeah. you will get the greatest benefit from that. And to expand on it, you know, like being humble, like approaching the work, approaching the setting and saying, you know, we don't know everything. And we don't even know what we haven't learned yet about what we're going to do going forward. And we kind of need you to help us out with that. Tell us what we need to know. Mm-hmm. Be curious. So that's, that's, I'm glad to hear that. You but how, how do we screw that up? Because I always tell, I mean, I, I think the best position a, a leader can be in is not knowing. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't know, then, I mean, the world's kind of their oyster. Right. But it's a difficult place to be because when you're the big boss, you're supposed to already know, Right. And so it's, it's, it, I think it's more difficult for the big boss to be, to have some humility and to be humble because they are kind of like on the org chart, the authority. They're the ones who are supposed to already have all this stuff figured out. Think of your best boss. a very mature leader. Well, I, well, I am mm-hmm. thinking about and, and the funny thing is many, but my, my best boss, because I agree with everything you just said, I think is, is, uh, is true. I mean, it's not true, but it, it's a very dominant belief, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But my best boss that I can think of that just comes to mind instantly was never afraid to say he didn't know. Right. I mean, never. So why is I mean, it not true? I mean, if that's what I mean. No, no. Mm-hmm. What you're uh, – I'm, I'm lost <laughs> in my – the belief – The I, juice is going to your head. Know, no. I, no, what you <laughs> said is – the vodka that component that that's going to his head. No, what you said is exactly true. It's just that the belief is is that the boss is supposed to know. Right. That's the, and, that's and the part. And, and when the, you're the boss right. and you don't know – that's an uncomfortable place to be because part of what you're trying to represent and and serve your people with is that you do know and you've got them covered. And when you don't know, that's a vulnerability. Well, see, so, but it's also a strength acknowledging that you don't know. What it's, you don't that's know. such a dangerous belief in so many different areas. Yeah. Like, for example, we're going to go back to, to COVID. So many people would say, well, the information keeps changing. Right. Or this isn't consistent. And those bits of wait a minute, if you're an authority and you're on TV and you have this title, then you're supposed to know everything Everything. there is to know. If you're a scientist, you're supposed to know everything there is to know about this disease that we just discovered. Right. That we just knew about. And that the the fact that there is incons- there was inconsistency or any um, knowledge gaps from the the officials. That's where conspiracy theory fills the question marks, and that's that's and that's where the disinformation comes from, and that's how people get hurt. Right. right? When we fill things in and don't really recognize that the job of working in uncertainty is. Diversity, making, flexibility. The diversity, flex, making your best guess, acting on it, seeing if that worked, changing your yeah, best guess. Your ability to be flexible about the, you know, the principles that you're putting into action is what actually makes you, makes you strong in an uncertain environment. But for some reason, we've created this myth that experts and leaders 
are inflexible, that, not, that you know, they have all the knowledge. All the knowledge is attainable right now. But don't you think that's right. a function and, of the uncertainty? And, and Mark, people are freaked yeah. out. Taking people that to the out. micro level of everybody that we work with out there, they have an event, something bad happens, you know, leadership, mm-hmm. the bosses, the supervisors there, that we want to have accountability, we want to have an explanation to the public right away, and yet we're operating from a place where we have not yet ha- had the opportunity to learn what actually took place. Yeah. You know, so we are trying to explain to the world, you know, without f- facts because we don't have them yet. Yeah. But yet there's an impatient to have an, an answer. And that's where we end up with things like, oh, this thing happened. We fired this VP. We created two new VPs. We put buffer stickers on the back of every car and we're sending everybody to training. <laughs> right? Exactly. And then the world walks away like, well, it sounds like they've got that in hand. And mm-hmm. I just love it when I see a leader who says, you know, I want to come back to you with a, with a context-rich and, and verifiable answer of what happened here, but we have not yet learned it. And when we learn it, we're not only going to come to you with an explanation of what happened, but we're going to come to you with some pretty durable fixes and some improvements that can help us out. So it's the same kind of thing. Maybe we'll even move beyond that. Maybe where we'll go is to a level where we redefine our leaders as not having the expectation that they know everything, but that they inquire Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe we move to this place where we're, we're going to have to live with uncertainty, that we're not going to have the answers and the fixes, no matter how long we look at something, because they may not be there. And maybe we move to what Martha was talking about, and that is this idea of improvisation. We create experiments, and we look at, that, at the world through that lens, and we see what effect our, our, our initiatives are having. Right? What are the things that – when we do something in the workplace – and we initiate a change, what changes does that promulgate? That's also a form of inquiry that we need to explore. But it isn't that we have the answer or the fix. I think that that's a trap in the old view, right? I think we need to move to this new place where we're willing to open ourselves up to the idea of experimentation and the unknown. And I think, I think that the, the, the former informs the latter, mm-hmm. you know, yes. so that because the only way that we can engage with all of that uncertainty of the future is to have the people in the present and in the immediate past willing to talk to us. Back to right. dialogue. Hmm. Right. And, but when we, when we get back to that, the mentality that, that I was talking about, when we have that fix-it mentality, oh, yeah, we fix the O-ring. Right, yeah. Right? So, right, this will never happen again. That whole, <laughs> we have to do this so that it will never happen again, that is just a false, that's, that's a false belief that's going to keep us from, from being curious. Right. We changed the O-rings, and now we're back in a perfect place. Everybody can relax. The exactly. The that we've been doing has been showing this. And, and what it's been showing is that both sides are, are correct in some sense, right? 
So we don't want to throw out corrections and fixes where they're appropriate and applicable. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to apply corrections and fixes where they're inappropriate. Right? So what we, we've been developing is what I call a spectrum approach. And the spectrum approach says if the system consistently delivers the expected, if it's predictable, that area needs fixes and controls and trending is appropriate. But if the system delivers uncertainty, then we have to have something else. And that's the sense-making, learning, and improvisation and experimentation side of the spectrum. And we've, I've got a, a pretty neat little diagram about this, both sides of the spectrum. And, and then in the middle, there are universals, right? And the universals are the idea of humble inquiry. The universals are the idea of, of genuinely being in a place of, of not knowing right? and having that humility and building psychological confidence in the workplace so that you can hear from people and understand what's happening. Those are kind of the central things that apply to both sides of the spectrum. But I think the spectrum approach thing, which is the, the latest paper I'm working on, I think that that applies greatly. So it's not to discount what you're saying about fixes. I didn't mean to do that if I did that. No, no, no. And it's not to say that the other, the other, side, of this, the, the, the other side of the spectrum is the most important thing. It's, again, completely contextual. We have to see what the context of the system is. What system are we living in? Is it uncertain? Is it certain? And, and the big learning for this, for me, was dealing with Ford Motor Company, frankly, and looking at what they're doing. And then I also had the opportunity to deal with another organization through one of my students. And that organization has created what they call Level 5 Safety, and they're building F-35 aircraft. And what they've done literally is tried to remove every bit of uncertainty in that system so that people have a reliable place to go to work. Well, in that environment, trending works, all these ideas of fixes, all these things that are like the old view of safety, they work, right? Because what they've done is they've removed as much uncertainty from that system as they possibly can. My question for that student is always the same. What happens when you run into uncertainty? And their response to that is, we bring together a team that is cognitively diverse, and we start to talk about what we're seeing that's New, dumb, dangerous, different. What's the new word we're adding to that? Difficult. Difficult, right? So dumb, dangerous, different, and difficult. When that happens, we bring together a cognitively diverse team and we start to look at it. That's the innovation side because the system has now delivered the unexpected. So I think we have to really understand where we're working and what we're working with before we say, hey, this is what we're going to do. We have to be open to that. But is denial of uncertainty a mistake? <laughs> no denials a river and that's a denial yeah if you're a new yorker <laughs> i mean yeah, yeah of course the, the good denial. news the, i mean to me the good news out of all this is that uncertainty has always been uncertain there's, always there's there's i guess there's relevant uncertainty and there there isn't relative that and then there's the important uncertainty and there's unimportant uncertainty that's why it's so important to know in your work and in the things that you do, what's really consequential to a positive outcome, what's really going to drive that outcome that you want, and and what really isn't that important. And that's why, you know, from that earlier talk, that uh, something like the pandemic really starts to teach you what are the real critical steps. And so in, if you can focus on key areas and, and look at the information, uh, you know, the, either the information, uncertainty, or ambiguity, 
or the environmental volatility or complexity and being able to look at those two things, then that will tell you, all right, am I in compliance? Is, that, is there information certainty and uh, environmental stability? Okay, well, then I can be working in sort of the, the old world compliance mode. Or if there is some volatility on the, on the environment side or some uncertainty on the information side, then you know that you should be engaging in inquiry, questioning, um, you know, you should be, you know, potentially experimenting. You should be observing, looking for patterns, that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and I think to, I think you're right on, Martha. And I think to add to that, um, what we have to, to recognize is the situation that we put workers in is not a zero-risk situation. There is no zero-risk option in anything that we do. And once we recognize that, then we start to move to these ideas like, like life-saving rules and, and the target zero stuff, we start to question that. And the questioning around that can be profoundly interesting. Again, another student working in the construction industry with a company that says, we are zero, zero target zero, zero, zero everywhere. And, and her response was to show how the organization introduced zero to the workforce, what the workforce felt about zero, and then what she thought the best way forward was through zero to work kind of around it. And, and it was a great paper. I mean, it was a really great piece of work that she did. So this, this again emerges as we start to ask those tough questions. What Decker used to say to us when we were in his workshops way back when in Lund was always ask the question, is that so? And that's what she really did. And I think if we start to prime people with that, Let's move to the place to ask that question. Is that so? I think Decker was really onto something. It moves us to a different place in inquiry. We're done? Well, I just want to say to everybody out there in Todd Pod land. <laughs> Todd Pod. That we are all sitting in Todd's little humble adobe. Just off the plaza in gorgeous Santa Fe, New Mexico, with smoke going up the uh, chimney. And Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yeah. You're so sweet. Yeah. Very You're nice. the sweetest guy on earth. I love you right back. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Woohoo. And, and remember, prunes are dried <laughs> plums. Yeah. Like, whose idea was that? <laughs> you'll thank me later. <laughs> yeah, oh, you'll thank me. Yeah, about 3 a.m. <laughs> oh, no, it'll be faster than that. <laughs> there it is. That's the, uh, the future as we see it. I told you it took kind of an interesting turn. It doesn't surprise me. We've had, we've had a lot of chronic exposure to risk. Um, and by chronic, I mean long-term chronic, like a couple of year. And so you can see where people are thinking they're hesitant to make predictions, which is probably safe. But you can also see where there's there's definitely a, a yearning towards kindness and togetherness and getting it back together and those feelings. And I see those everywhere. I mean, that's that's not just a phenomenon of us having a conversation about the new year, but everywhere I go, I see it. And I should give you a little hint on the prune thing. So uh, we did this recording in my house because all of us are in Santa Fe, so that was kind of a lucky thing. 
And uh, they found a bottle of prune juice and did all sorts of concoctions with the prune juice, which I thought was hilarious for a million reasons. First of all, let's just let's just establish this fact. Prune juice is funny prima facie. On its face, prune juice is funny. It's also incredibly effective. I don't need to go into that much more. But uh and this bottle was here, that's a long story. I didn't actually purchase this bottle of prune juice, but it was left in my home from a guest. Um, and so it was nice to get rid of it. I mean, I felt good about that. And it was really funny to get rid of it with people who, with wide eyes, uh, carefully pursued the deep secrets of the prune. So we got that done nonetheless as well. So that's the pod. Again, remember, Project X is coming around the corner. I'm kind of excited. I'm almost, I am this close to blabbing this out, but I better not because that'd be that. Although I would tell how many people listen to the end part of the podcast if, in fact, I did blab it out right now. But I'm not going to. So there we go. So Project X is around the corner. Lots of interesting stuff coming down the pike. That is for sure. Um, and look forward to, I don't know, a great year. I mean, I, I think this could be the one. This could be the year when amazing things happen. I'm going to go uh, see if I can sneak a bike ride in because it's like uh, kind of right at the cusp of the warm warmth level I need to take a bike. You have some fun today. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That's important. Check in on one another, please. Uh, drink some prune juice and see what happens. And for the most part, I think the big message is be safe.